morning, everyone, and we welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion. We are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. And today is the 4th of July. And we all know God bless America. Thank you for joining us today. Our subject is God. And we will begin with our morning prayer. I'm reading from Miscellany, page 278 and 279. The first government of divine love is supreme. The first commandment in the Hebrew Decalogue, thou shalt have no other God before me, obeyed is sufficient to still all strife. God is the divine mind, hence the sequence had all peoples one mind, peace would reign. God is Father, infinite, and this great truth, when understood in its divine metaphysics, will establish the brotherhood of man, end wars, and demonstrate on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Man is free, and freedom is the God-given birthright. All by Mary Baker. Beautiful. Thank you very much. All right, our watching point. Watching point number 423. Watch lest you shrink from using the term principle for God because it seems cold. An artist must study the human skeleton before he can fill it out and make it beautiful. Principle describes the anatomy of God in the sense that it unfolds him as law, foundation, reality, basis, source, and essence. When understood, this term can be enriched with the warm and appealing qualities of love, life, soul, mind, etc. It can be deduced from Mrs. Eddy's definition of God that the masculine thought approaches God through the ascending steps of mind, spirit, soul, and the feminine thought approaches him through the ascending steps of love, truth, and life. If the body of a bird should represent principle, then one wing would be mind, spirit, soul, and the other wing would be life, truth, love. Thus, all the beautiful qualities of God must be seen to be supported by the unerring principle. End quote. Thank you. Comments on that? Well, I was surprised that when I first read that because even as uh, a new uh, scientist, I love the idea of principle, the law, the backbone, the strength of it. It just is very appealing. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, I feel the same way. I feel a very strong center holding both sides up, you know, balancing, firmly balancing. Yes, yeah, and I, I think here we were instructed principle is part of all the synonyms, which is why it's... Um, 
not always mentioned or we don't have a whole top yeah, not a subject, subject for yeah, a lesson. not a subject for a lesson yes <clears throat> it has to be just as as florence said it holds everything up it's the law and that simple statement we we were taught here that principle without love is a Iceberg. 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 <laughs> yeah, and love without principle is the jellyfish. Is the jellyfish. Mm-hmm. They go hand in hand. Someone was going to speak. And this is. Well, I thought it was. Oh. Go <laughs> I I also thought it was a good um, beginning to, except for a sacrament that we're going to have. It's a good beginning to the next six weeks. For seven weeks, because we're going to have the all the um, synonyms for God. Mm. So I thought this was a wonderful way to start with the with the principle, and then um, continue with the rest of it. But I I also was I love the image of the bird and and uh, being principle and the the wings being mind, spirit, soul, and the other being life, truth, love. I love that image. Yeah, and the bird flies over matter and over all the mortal beliefs, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, flies above them, doesn't get down in the mud and wrestle with them. I think this is why Mrs. Eddie called the religion Christian science. Because science is law. As his principle. And perhaps the reason we don't have a lesson called principle is because we have a lesson called Christian science. Because it brings together all of the synonyms of God and shows in a practical way who and what God is and what he does for us. And the fact that it's based on principle means that it's for everyone and it's for all time. Unlike a lot of old theology that thinks that, well, you know, healing was for Jesus' time or for Jesus and his disciples. And, you know, now now we have medicine, so we don't need Christianity for healing or something like that which misses, totally misses the point. In an article that uh, Carrie sent me by a Joel Ruffus Mosley 1907 issue of the journal, it, it brings out how freedom is associated with the synonyms. Um, it's very, it says, to identify ourselves with God, his synonyms, attributes, and manifestations is to be set free from his suppositional opposites. To identify ourselves with love, to manifest love, to be loving, is to be free from all that is unlike love and opposed to love. I thought that's so beautiful. Isn't that true? Yes. When we live these synonyms, we are free from its suppositional opposite. And then to identify ourselves with truth, to know truth and to be truth and truthful is to be free from error. This is how truly we express 
our individual freedom by expressing God's and expressing his synonyms. That's why his synonyms are so important and to work with them daily in the definition of God in the glossary. And then to identify ourselves with life, to be full of the consciousness and activities of life is to be free from death. And then it goes on. It is also true that to identify ourselves with Christ, God with us, or God manifest to us in goodness, is to be from free from all the claims of evil. In Christian science, it is seen that all virtues are emancipating and all the vices are enslaving that all the virtues heal and all the vices make sick that all the virtues are life-giving and all the vices are deadly all goodness is freedom and makes free as all evil is slavery and enslaves now being a science, it's, it's, as Gary was saying, law, principle, it's available to everyone, right? No one is excluded. You can't tell someone that they can't practice the laws of math, can you? No. Yeah, no, it's impossible. And even if someone tells you that or tries to keep you from it, that's your divine right. And sooner or later, sooner or later, it will... It will be made manifest in you if you so desire it because God will unfold it in you and through you. It's impossible, but you have to you have to live and demonstrate the synonyms, the virtues rather than the vices. There, there, there are sometimes these books, they're called, you know, virtues for children. I don't know if children still read them anymore. I, I think I have some, and I think we have some in our Sunday school. But they learn the virtues of loving your neighbor as yourself, you know, sharing with a friend, being kind. Um, and what, the vices or what? Not loving, being jealous, being angry, all of that. Those are the vices. So let's live in the virtues. Let's live in the synonyms. And we will demonstrate our freedom over all things that are unlike him. Now, I'd like to <clears throat> go into, since I think it goes with the watching point, but anyway, I wanted to get into what um, Linda wrote on the forum on love, one of the synonyms. Uh, I'll read the quote from yes. <clears throat> uh, 12 Years with Mary Baker Eddy by Reverend Irving C. Tomlinson. It's page 90. Quote, the first day's teaching on the subject of love, she, Mary Baker Eddy, concluded somewhat as follows. Love is the father who is strong in his care for his children and provides for every need. Love feeds, clothes, and shelters every one of his dear ones. Love is a mother, tenderly brooding over all her children. This mother guards each one from harm, 
nourishes, holds close to herself, and carefully leads along the upward way. Love is a shepherd who goes forth into the darkness of the night, into the storm and wind to find the lost sheep. This shepherd of love leaves the beaten path, searches the wood and marsh, pushes aside the brambles, and seeks until the lost is found. Then he places it within his bosom and returns to heal and restore. End quote. That is so beautiful. That Tomlinson book, I hadn't read it in a very, very long time. I've gotten back to it. It has some beautiful quotes I'm not familiar with and also stories about Mrs. Eddy. Very beautifully, tenderly told. You can tell how much he loved her, not in a human way, but in a divine way. So that was such a beautiful description of love, what it does. And... Along with that, I got something this week um, that I'm going to read. It's, it's a testimony of sorts. It's by one of our members in Canada. She writes, Sometimes an introduction needs to start with memories of a parent's experience that has impacted their life in a big way. So I will start introducing myself with my father's youthful experience of a walk through a forest at night. Zygmunt was his name, and he lived in Poland as a youth. He was fearless and somewhat arrogant. So his friends dared him to walk in the middle of the night through a dangerous European forest, which is nothing like out of North American forests. Through centuries, these European forests were manicured with paths that had no dead logs uh, spread across its floors. So Sigmund accepts the challenge fearlessly and arrogantly. In his previous experience, he learned that he could not be hypnotized by a mass hypnotist that traveled around, and that had given him immeasurable courage. He chose a summer night that had a full moon to take a walk through that dangerous forest. He headed out along a path. It was a warm night and quite pleasant when he heard his father calling him from the direction from which he had started. He stopped, looked back, and walked back a few steps, wondering why his father was following him. There was no one there. He thought that this was strange, so he turned around and proceeded in his original direction, intending to complete his challenge. A few moments later, he hears the same voice calling by his name, Sigmund. This time, the voice was louder and closer. Again, he looked behind him and saw no body. He checked his watch. It was 2 a.m., this time his mind was keenly awake and aware as if it were put on alert. A few more meters further, my father hears his name calling in a loud, insistent, demanding tone right at his right-hand side. He decided to jump through the thicket right where he heard the voice. What he finds is a pile of hay and nobody around. Since it was the middle of the night, he decided to lay down on the hay and have a nap. 
My father didn't tell me how long he slept. However, he was woken up abruptly by the police interrogating him. What was his name? Where does he live? What was he doing sleeping in the forest? They took him to the police station and locked him up. So much for accepting challenges. That same day, however, the police came to let him out, saying that he was a very lucky man because some meters ahead of where they found him sleeping, a murder had taken place and that the person had been caught. My father went home and asked his father what he was doing at 2 a.m. And his father, whose name was Mikhail, said he had finished reading a book and was going to bed. Were you thinking of me at that time? Asked my father. No, was the curt answer. Sigmund, my father, pondered that answer, cherished the protection and forewarning he had received in the forest from that voice that did sound like Mikkel's voice. Sigmund was not a religious man. The audience can decide for themselves whether this voice was Sigmund's inner voice speaking to him or his heavenly father's voice. Either way, my father was moved deeply and listened to this voice and obeyed it immediately all through the five years he spent in the concentration camp where it saved him literally and repeatedly from death. After listening to the countless stories of protection and safety in the midst of dangerous times and circumstances, I learned as a child to listen to the still small voice within me and to follow my intuition lovingly. And most of all, to trust other people to their own intuitions and inner small voices. Now, of course, we know that was the Heavenly Father. It was what Mrs. Eddy was describing and what Linda read in the Tomlinson book, that love protecting and seeking out her own. And this woman who sent me this story about her father went on. She told me, you know, I mean, he, five years, he was in Auschwitz or one of those. He was in a, um, you know, they, he, she said they would kill a hundred people a day and, and he, would, he was lined up once to be shot. And the voice told him to drop down. And he was saved and then it continues he was miraculously saved time and time again this voice telling him that he had learned to obey and then i've i've heard others bob was telling me he knows of many other stories of of this type of thing that happened and and we've told about 9 11 so i i can't emphasize enough um the importance of learning to obey your father's loving voice father mother's loving voice in the lesson the god of my rock in him will i trust he is my shield the horn of my salvation my high tower my refuge my savior thou savest me from violence there is no condition ever too severe mrs eddy says right that that love is not waiting for you teaching you don't not be aware of it. Appreciate it. Listen to it. It will save you. It will help you. It will restore you. It will heal you. It will bless you. It will rejuvenate you. It will do all things for you if you listen. 
And <laughs> no, I think the 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 lie that oh I can't hear tempts us. You know, oh, I can't hear. I've been. I I just can't hear God. It's a lie. We we can practice to hear, or we can know that we can hear, and then we will hear. And Mrs. Eddie also said, um, "I will hear, I will know, and I will obey." So, yeah, not far from any one of us. It's God with us, so we can hear His voice. Yeah, and the hymn says, "I will hear no other voice." I will heed no other call. It, in a way, you know, if you say you can't hear it, in a way, that's that's a cop-out, isn't it? I mean, we hear what we want to hear. We see what we want to see in life. We do what we want to do in life. That's why you must never, never deny it. Um, and, and if you say you can't hear it, you, what are you doing? You're affirming an error. You can't hear it. You have to say that you can and know that you can and know that you will. I read a, a while ago something that Carpenter wrote about that. I think I read it at a, at a Wednesday meeting, listening for the voice of God. So you, ha- you have to know that you can and you will. Of course you can. He created you that way. And you learn sometimes by trial and error. Sometimes you might make a mistake. It wasn't God's voice, so you learn. Well, yeah, I, I, I view that as calibration. <laughs> it's kind of, kind of, you know, but I love the end of that too. How, you know, knowing that other people have it too. That's an important thing. It's very important. Yes, everyone. Any, okay. no. No, I think we, we also learned that. If we are really relying on him, even when we didn't hear correctly, we make a mistake, he will redirect. So it's just more important to desire to hear and know that we can hear. Um, I think that's more the point than anything. Yeah, that's a very good point, Florence. And Mrs. Eddy has has written that, hasn't she? There were times when she didn't know what step to take, so she... She took the step that seemed best at the time, and sometimes that led her to a position where she saw another step right. or a different step that needed to be taken. I think it, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Charity. I think it was Carpenter that told us that people called her changeable, her thought, but it was exactly what you said. She would go forward with something she thought God was telling her, and then she would change her mind, and she was right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she never, you know, she never said, "Well, I can't hear his voice," and then stop. No. She did the best she could under the circumstances and kept listening. And yes, she was flexible. She was totally flexible. Yeah, and, and that's what humility be. is. We must be that flexible. Flexible under the hand of God, willing to change. And that, that is humility, because sometimes you do make a mistake. It takes humility to say, whoops, uh, that was not the right thing to do or say or go or whatever and change directions. Jeremy? I just remember Kimball said that if you don't know what to do, go on. And in precepts, Carpenters talked about Mrs. Eddy. And he said from when she would take that step from that new perspective, she would be able to see what was right. Yes, so. Yes, and I'm sure you can all identify with that, where maybe you couldn't quite see. So you went a certain way, and then you said, oh, now I see, and then decided 
either to take another route or go forward or whatever. But um, step by step, we do it. Trust in God. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, leaning not into thine own understanding, and he will direct thy path. Proverbs 3, paraphrase. And, nev and never, ever be embarrassed to admit mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have this... Um, this thing that has like quotes about programming I, I comes up once in a while and yesterday's was no matter how far down the wrong road you go turn back <laughs> <laughs> i know that's wonderful that's it that's wonderful that's a great that'd be a good calendar yeah. Yeah. well so yeah so all the first you know the responsive reading the first bible it's all the wonderful things that god does for us and i loved in the responsive reading where well, it talks about a buckler. That's a that's a shield that's four feet long and covers your whole body, totally protected. And um, girdish you with strength, makes your way perfect. Setteth me upon my places, and then it says it teaches my hands to war, so that a bow of steel is broken in mine arms. He teaches us how to fight the battles. Think of how David did. Tricia writes about the little stone. That in the forum about the slung and how fast and furious it flies. And it's one of the most dangerous um, forms of weaponry. And yet David knew, the shepherd boy knew how to wield what was needed. And we are taught that too, when we need to, we're not nice to an error. But then it also goes on to say, thy right hand hath holden me up and thy gentleness hath made me great. So the yin and the yang of it, the, the toughness, the, the angel Michael, and then the angel Gabriel, the gentleness, the peace, the calm, the love, both, all. And that leads us to, um, well, I guess it would be Joanne wrote on the motherhood of God. We talked about it last week because it was in what was put on the um, carousel by Smiley, emphasizing the motherhood of Mrs. Eddy and how that was attacked by the male yeah male chauvinist thought. <laughs> and hey, you know, I mean, we're talking about states of mortal mind, not person. Well, women can have it too. Women can have it too. Yeah. Women can have it too. Flores, were you going to say something? Oh, no, uh, I was all right. Well, well, Joe talks about the first commandment um, equalizes the sexes, annuls the curse on man. That's Signs and Health, page 340. And um, she writes, only as we, Joe writes, only as we rightfully recognize and acknowledge the motherhood of God and Mrs. Eddy's role as its representative are we truly obeying the first commandment. It is also imperative that each one of us recognize and acknowledge both masculine and feminine side of our true spiritual nature. This alone will equalize the sexes. As this is done, the curse on man, original sin, male chauvinism, and male chauvinism, what, is just pe keeping women in their place, in their corner, or, or keeping them as sex objects, or, you know, that's what it is. It's a carnal mind, again, 
a state of carnal mind. We're not talking about people, God's man anyway. So, and this was a curse that Romanism introduced in early Christianity. It was Romanism that did this. A curse that I grew up with and escaped from solely through Mrs. Eddy's teachings at the Plainfield Church. Thank God. And then someone else also replied to that. Um, Henceforth know we no man or woman after the flesh. And how Mary Baker Eddy, the light of truth, reveals that great miracle to human sense is divine love. She lifts the veil from human sense and reveals its limited claims and beliefs. But even more so, Mary Baker Eddy demonstrates the nothingness of these claims and opinions via God as infinite good. So... I thank this post as it represents an opportunity to see all men and women as God's likeness and image, as pure spirit. And truly, where else can we do this but in science? I mean, all, all of the division that seems to be placed on us, whether it's the sexes or color of your skin or your religion or, or whatever, um, as Florence so beautifully read in the prayer this morning, acknowledging the one mind this will end all wars and bring out the brotherhood of man we're all in the one mind there would be no other i was thinking that while she was reading yes there's no other to go against or yes hate or anything else and we can all do that you can do it no one's stopping us from doing it individually be the example and do it be, what is it? Be the change you want to be or whatever that is. Be the change you want to see in the world. Yeah. Because that's the truth. Everyone will ultimately come to that because that is the absolute truth. Anything else is a lie. As Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. This is what that means. If I will see others correctly, if I will help nothing but divine love and principle in my heart i will attract that i will defeat the enemy the enemy is is nothing but wrong thought false belief it's never personal it's not no that's all it is mesmerism getting you to believe the lie and it's so obviously a lie and also, I was very grateful because I was couldn't find this this morning. Linda found it for me and watches Prayers and Arguments, page 92 of my book, um, where Mrs. Eddy addresses this uh, about manhood and womanhood, the fatherhood and motherhood of God, both all qualities as our watching point, go back to the watching point, the bird with both wings. This is my support that the male and female natures are equally expressed, coexistence in coexistent in me. This is the way that I exist and is the reason I never lack. It is because I am the nature of infinite completeness. There is never anything in my experience which the male and female qualities are not infinitely one, supporting each other. It is because my spiritual inspiration is perfectly balanced with scientific understanding because my joy is perfectly balanced with courage, and because my love is perfectly balanced with strength. 
it goes on. It's beautiful, and it's one you should know and be familiar with. That's how you find your completeness, your wholeness, not by looking for some person to make you whole, right? And not by tearing down Mrs. Eddie. And not by tearing down Mrs. Eddie, yes, <laughs> who expressed that motherhood. Or tearing down anybody else, for that matter. Well, yes. Comparisons are odious. Right? Yes. So. That's a that's a beautiful thing in Watch's Prayer and Arguments. I'm very grateful for that. It's a good answer to a lot of things these days. <laughs> it is. It is a good answer to a lot of things these days. It is. And that's where we keep it. Let's keep it in that metaphysical basis. So a lot of this stuff is too, you know, it's beyond, we have no right to judge, right? Jesus says, don't judge anybody. It gets too peculiar to try to judge people. <laughs> it just doesn't work. It's, it's wrong. Everyone has a right to their own freedom, their own working out of their own individuality, ridding themselves of false personality and gaining the right individuality. Florence, did you want to say something? No, I'm, I, I agree with what you're saying. Okay. And it's really, where, where else can we, how else can we do it? And the, um, what it says that we are called to do something, the message this morning in the, what Jeremy sent, is beautiful. We have a duty. We have something to do. If we do it individually, it will be the collective effect. So, yes, it will. It will. And and one with God is a majority. Now, and, and and that's why our human governments should pattern the divine in every way. But it yes, and on this day 4th of July you know this thought of the United States it's a, it's an ideal has it lived up to it no but the ideal we must hold in thought you know when you hold thought what's right steadfastly. steadfastly yes this is how what Jesus beheld in science the perfect man and and about our nation and about all nations you hold in thought the truth about it this other stuff is like all blurred okay it's out of focus it's not the truth so we get it back by holding the right ideal in thought and we hold it there and i don't care what anyone else says or thinks or does you hold to that truth just as you would if you saw a sick person well and and there's that the healing of the nations it's one of our articles um on the website and it brings that out uh, a sick nation it's the same thing you hold the ideal in thought the united states of america has a high ideal we keep that in thought it, it, yes it's fallen short short of it in many ways but still hold it in thought in many ways it hasn't in many ways it's accomplished great good we hold that in thought instead uh, you know, it's like if you have a sick person, you oh, it's just terrible. He's awful. He'll throw <laughs> stones on him. He's awful. Look at how sick he is. Well, goodness, is that going to heal a situation? I don't think so. That's not science. You well, it's like the Christian science movement. We can either admit defeat or <laughs> go, yes. go from what it's supposed to be. So. Yes, and I found something, and I've been working with it this week. 
um, it's and it addresses um, things that aren't right. Let's see if I can find it. Okay, yes, it's in message of 1901, and it starts on page 19, mental malpractice, and she's Mrs. Eddy is speaking about hidden sin. All right, and we all know. I mean, it, this is a worldwide thing. The hidden sin it it operates in secret. Right now, it seems to be coming out to the surface, and that's a good thing because when it does, it's two thirds destroyed, and the final third will destroy itself. But this is what she says. Hmm. This nice little lady, right? <laughs> <laughs> this unseen sin is the sin of sins. It is never forgiven. Even the agony and death that it must sooner or later cause the perpetrator cannot blot out its effects on himself till he suffers up to its extinction and stops practicing it. Isn't that lovely? Now that's get to it, right? So don't worry. God's, God's going to in control. The crimes committed under this new old regime of necromancy or diabolism are not easily reckoned. At present, its mystery protects it, but its hidden modus and flagrance will finally be known, and the laws of our land will handle its thefts, adulteries, and murders, and will pass sentence on the darkest and deepest of human crimes. Christian scientists are not hypnotists. They are not mortal mind curists, nor faith curists. They have faith but they have science, understanding, and works as well. They are not the addenda, the etc., or new additions of old errors, but they are what they are, namely students of a demonstrable science leading the ages. So when we work, we work for the extinction of error. It'll suffer up to its extinction until it stops practicing it. We don't fix error. We don't make it nice. We destroy it. And and this is what we know. We know for our nation, all nations, that this is working. This is God's law. This is principle working. And we see all these errors, we can be dismayed at it, or we all have different ideas who did what and why, but only God knows, truly. And that the error will be destroyed. And hey, they can burn the Bibles. They can say, I don't want to hear this. <laughs> that doesn't mean this isn't working. They don't want to hear it because <laughs> they don't want to suffer the consequences of their actions, but they will. The error will. The error, all error can do is destroy itself. And that's a good thing to know. It brings great safety and peace in knowing that. Error will not get away with crimes. No. And we, I don't think we <clears throat> should feel bad for people having to suffer through it. I, I suffered enough to be receptive to come here, so <laughs> and I'm well, grateful yes. for it. So, yes. <laughs> so that's yeah. a good thing. I also suffered. Yes. I did too. You suffer till you stop. You stop. That's true. I suffered a lot because I, you know, I was fearful. I was negative. I was disobeying and I didn't know it. And I suffered till I stopped doing it. And it is a kind thing to let people suffer for their wrongs. 
that's all they learn. So yeah, you can't protect it. You can't. It'll only prolong the being, agony. Being nice mm-hmm. makes it worse. And there was one other thing. I've been looking and looking for this, and it's actually in the Eustace book, bottom numbering, page nine twelve, where Mrs. Eddy says, Mrs. Al- Mrs. Eddy also made a statement to the effect that ingratitude is the original sum total of evil, and its only remedy is gratitude, the highest human quality, its destruction. Think of that. Ingratitude is the original sum of to- sum total of evil. Let that put that in your pipe and smoke on it. <laughs> That's wonderful, though. Ingratitude for Mrs. Eddy causes all those problems. Yes. Ingratitude for America causes all those problems. Yes. So. Yes. When you when you're grateful, you're safe, right? So. That's what she said. She does. And, you know, I always see it, too. I'm sure Florence does, too. The first thing that gets people going off, out, leaving is ingratitude. Some little thing. Oh, they didn't get their healing. Well, maybe they consider that a big thing, but sometimes you need patience. Or some little thing offended them, something, and they they start just poking around in the air and they forget. They throw the baby out with the water. As I was told. <laughs> anyway, yeah, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. Thank you. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You get in ungrateful, and everything goes to hell. Our nation. Yeah. Good point. You want? You think we have? You think we have it bad now? You just wait. What will happen? <laughs> Please, don't be ungrateful. That. That's. Yeah. That's a. I'm glad I found that because I, I know she says other things about ingratitude, but this was where she says it's the sum total of evil and its destruction is gratitude. You want to know why we have our testimony meetings, why we're always talking about being grateful? That's why. We don't want to get into that pot with the sum total of evil. No, thank you. Okay, now I wanted to also go into what Parthens writes, which, you know, sometimes it's deep, but. The main theme of this week's lesson is God is all, and it is true. It's it's in it throughout. And omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence, the allness of God. On a practical level, it's possible to render the lessons opening scriptures thus. Then, quote, my consciousness of the allness of God hath clothed me with the garments of salvation, hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. This is what does it. Your consciousness of the allness of God. This goes to the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Which is why Mrs. Eddy says that commandment demonstrates Christian science. It's a state of thought where you don't admit for about anything except God's own allness. Okay, then he goes on. David's allness, understanding of allness, and then from Second Samuel, delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And then such scriptures remind me of Queen Esther, when she and all her people were faced with seemingly inevitable annihilation. She learned to discipline herself, 
her imaginative faculty not to gaze despairingly at objective reality, that is the testimony of the physical senses, but rather to dismiss it altogether by supplanting or grounding it, holding to a view of a world flooded with the allness of God in faith and limitless hope. Chapter 5 of the book of Esther depicts her transformation from prostrate victim to victor, standing tall and resolute. Quote, now it, now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house. End quote. Her royal apparel, robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh herself with ornaments. Okay, then the name Esther means hidden or concealed. Closeted in prayer, Esther firmly held on to her subjective realization of victory. In so doing, she lay bare the false notion of objective reality, exposed it as a lie, no longer able to conceal itself. Thus did nothingness flee before allness and its infinite manifestation. What had appeared to be such an impossible dream was now objectified. Esther's desire for the salvation of her nation was fulfilled, and the threat against her nation, which had appeared to her to be so harsh an objective reality, now vanished as a bad dream from which the sleeper awakens. So that's something to really think about and understand. Some people maybe think they don't understand it, but if you don't, you need to. To get into that allness of God, the first commandment, must be obeyed. Have no other gods before him. And the evidence of whether you do obey that is whether you are truly grateful to God for everything that he has done and does for you. That's true. That is the proof of your recognition of God's allness. Yeah, the little, the little good as well as the big good that come, all of it comes. Exactly. Everything. Every good. It keeps you in such a happy state. You know, Laura Sargent said, gratitude, it's not even something you do, it's something you are, because when you're in the right mind, you're just going to be grateful. Right? I mean, I'm sure you've all been there. You just feel so happy because you're so grateful. Everything you see brings you back to God. It's your divine state of gratitude. So when you're not grateful, you're in the wrong mind and you're going down a wrong path. You're off the, the straight and narrow path and you better jar yourself and get you back on because it's not pretty. Where you can be grateful and sad at the same time. You cannot. Right. You can't be ungrateful and see people correctly at the same time. And what did Jesus do every time he faced a sick or a dead person? Thank God. He was grateful first. He thanked God. He was grateful first. Yes, first. He expressed his gratitude, which was his recognition of God's allness and the nothingness of this mortal dream that appeared to him. We can do the same thing. 
You know, in another article that Carrie sent called God's Name, but she says that she quotes Mrs. Eddy in this article first. Truth has no consciousness of error. Love has no sense of hatred. Life has no partnership with death. Truth, life, and love are a law of annihilation to everything unlike themselves because they declare nothing except God. We, we love that statement. It's 243 in Science and Health. Mm. And then it goes on. Life, truth, and love and other names, full synonyms for God. Their suppositious opposites can no more exist in their ever presence than can ice in boiling water darkness and light, or sound and silence. And when this fact becomes apparent, its proof becomes so simple that even a child can obtain unerring results. How? But by unwavering obedience to the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And its converse, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. They must obey that commandment. And also, I guess we're getting a little short on time, but I did love the story about how David inquired. He, again, he always was inquiring God. God was like his best and ever friend. He didn't make a move without asking God. And it was a beautiful thought about the mulberry trees, the sound in the mulberry trees. And Susan wrote on that. Susan, you want to, she's here, right? Yes. Do you want to, I know you quoted, it sounded like a beautiful sermon by Spurgeon called The Sound in the Mulberry Trees. Um, yes, it was basically what you were saying at the beginning about listening for God's voice, and he didn't make any moves before he asked God, even after he had been successful the first time, he didn't just go ahead and do what he did in the second battle. He asked God, and God gave him a different strategy. So if he hadn't been listening, it might have gone differently. Yes. So human, human wisdom isn't the way. Thank you. Yes, yes, just like that story of the man who was listening to God speaking his voice and um, saved him, saved him time and time again. So, yeah, I thought that was so beautiful. And, and maybe what you're asked to do seems contrary to what you feel you should do, but God is saying it. Better listen. And it shall be when thou shalt hear a sound of going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt go out to battle. For God has gone forth before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. So now we are ready to end, and it's going to be on the Eustace article, excerpts from it that has been on the carousel that's beautiful about our country, the United States of America, for yeah, those of you who live here. This is an excerpt from the Eustace article entitled The Branch That Grew Over the Wall, and it can be found on his book, The Clear Correct Teaching. And I quote, America stands as the one nation on earth whose origin was wholly spiritual. It went forth with the one spiritual purpose to worship God. What then constituted America? It was the seed within itself, that inborn spiritual craving in each individual 
which seeks mind as the needle seeks the pole. The seed was not only the recognition of the right, but also the determination to worship God without interference. The understanding that nothing has the right to or can intervene between God and his idea. In other words, America stands for that union of principle and idea, which is forever one and indissoluble. This country typifies, and its origin proves it to be, the spiritual idea of mind and the nearest approximation to a nation founded by mind. And so it stands alone. America was in no way merely a political experiment. It was the answer to the deep spiritual necessity of man's oneness with principle. That every step of this unfolding nation was leavened by the recognition of dependence upon mind is verified by utterances of that time. Benjamin Franklin said in his address of 1787 before the Constitutional Convention when, at the end of weeks of stress and effort, failure seemed to face them, quote, if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured in the second writings that Except the Lord build the house, they that labor, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. End quote, Ben Franklin. Nothing animated the founding of this nation except the one purpose to be alone with God and worship him after the dictates of a conscience untrammeled by ecclesiastical or other tyranny. End quote. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.